this, narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six-figure filmmakers nor professional critics. They are casually critical. Welcome back to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. I'm your host, Daniel Carpenter. And I'm James Newton, your co-host. For those of you who are curious, we'll be starting this review free of spoilers. Our casual correspondence segment will follow, and then we will end this episode with a spoiler-filled discussion. Today we're going to be discussing Joss Whedon's directorial debut, Serenity. Uh, which is a film that shortly followed the series Firefly, which we reviewed in a previous episode. If you haven't got the chance to check it out, um, first off, watch Firefly and then listen to our review. Um, it's well worth your time, and uh, Daniel and I, I think, had a pretty great conversation about it. All that being said, uh, to quote Daniel, this discussion may involve some small spoilers of Firefly, um, as it is Serenity is a continuation of Firefly. So, Daniel, how about you go ahead and tell us um, about Serenity? Of course. So, Serenity is a continuation of Firefly, and it's interesting because it's not another season, but it is a continuation, and in some ways, it's the ending that Firefly never got. It's kind of wraps up a lot of the bigger arcs, and yet leaves some arcs unresolved. It's a very interesting example. Um, Rotten Tomatoes rank this as number five in the 50 best TV adaptations of all time. Wow. Whether or not that's correct, we will see. Uh, but I just want to say, I really enjoyed this movie. This is incredibly well done. It respected and honored the characters. It didn't feel like anyone was different. It felt like I was okay, just stepping back into the Firefly universe. Uh, and yet, things get progressively and sometimes drastically bigger in scale. Oh, yeah. And yet it still feels like the heart of the story is never truly lost. But I'm going to stop talking early because, James, last episode you said a lot of things. You said you were uh, you heard the, some mediocre reviews about this movie. You were not sure. And frankly, I've been looking forward to hearing your responses to this movie ever since I saw it. I honestly don't think I, um, I'm i bringing anything too controversial to the table here. Um, I really liked it, too. It was really great. I had a whole lot of fun. And the, um, the scale, as you mentioned before, escalates properly for the big screen, but it never loses sight of what made Firefly charming. And I think that's because it's such an organic transition um, from Firefly into Serenity because this is Joss Whedon's baby, and he was so dead set on this film becoming um, coming into existence and uh, the death of Firefly being avenged. You can tell <laughs> the heart is still there. Um, and actually, to quote the movie, um, the most important thing that keeps a ship afloat is, is heart. Uh, and that's definitely what keeps this movie afloat and the entire series, of course, because this movie is a great reflection of the series, in my opinion. I think the biggest things that I read about on the internet um, were things about emphasis on action, unresolved plot lines. What do you think about those things, Daniel? Well, I don't know how specific I can get without spoiling things, but to keep it simple, 
this movie is an amazing example of a proper adaptation. Something I'll be asking you about later in this section of our non-spoiler review. But they'd actually planned on doing a sequel to this, but they weren't sure about that. And so they had contracts with the actors that left it open for a sequel to be possible. But I'm really glad they didn't. Because this is, I think, a perfect end to the series, especially with what you were saying. You felt so unresolved. This resolves all the big things, but it doesn't resolve everything. And I would go so far as to say, if it resolved everything, it would ruin the beautiful mystery of the series. Because I always think what makes that series great is always having that mystery, that edge of space or the edge of that character's lives that you never truly know about. Let's talk about risk, Daniel. I think I think there are a lot of okay. risks taken uh, with this film. Uh, would you agree with that statement? 110%. Yes, I would. And do you think that those risks paid off, or do you think that it was sinking too much into uh, just one small chapter of the Firefly story? I will say the only issue I have with the risks is there was one risk taken with the quote-unquote main character, or the main focus of the movie, River. Um, And I won't venture further and say what those risks were, but who she becomes really quickly. I look back and I think that's such a leap from where we left her at the end of Firefly. And yet, for what they wanted to do with that and what they wanted to do with the movie and include that, it made perfect sense. You're going to be rushed on some things. I think Joss Whedon got together with his fellow writers Actually, I think he wrote the whole thing. So he got together with the other voices in his head <laughs> and he was like, okay, let's take the overarching arc actually, and let's wrap it up. Daniel, I did a little bit of reading about this and he actually, oh, okay. he had a lot of things planned out for the following movies and he called it the kitchen sink. Uh, and he wow. presented it to his universal correspondent who is, universal is the blessed company, thank you so much, that took on <laughs> Serenity and decided to make it into a film. So it was actually co-wrote by uh, somebody um, from Universal, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, uh, but he was the cutting room. He was the one that chopped mm. a lot of stuff. It was a 190-page script, uh, and this wow. would be the script for all three movies, and they had to dice it down very carefully uh, to make Serenity. There's a lot of love that went into this, and I think that's easy to overlook because this really just feels like a longer Firefly episode. Yes. And when you consider that the pilot was a feature length film length, it really could just be the season finale. Which is also called Serenity. (laughs) (laughs) You could just say, oh, this is the final episode of Firefly. And I wouldn't know any better. This feels so indistinguishable from the show. And yet it is very distinguished in its scale and its budget. The effects are so much better and they look great, especially for 2005. I recall there was one planet that they landed on, um, and I obviously won't spoil anything, but audibly I said to myself, holy budget, because you could see all the buildings and the little ships moving around, and it still looks nice, even for a 2005 film. Okay, so wrapping this up, James, what would you rate this movie out of five stars? I'm teetering between four and 4.5, and I'm just going to say a strong four. Because as a standalone film, I could see why someone would be confused. Uh, But as a fan of Firefly, I appreciate it a lot. I'm going to say 4.5. 
in keeping with our tradition, but not for the sake of keeping with our tradition. It just happens to fall in there. I should have let you go first. It's you say that every time, James. It's a curse. It's a curse. You are correct. I think the worst thing about this movie is it doesn't work as a standalone movie. Yeah. It it only works as a continuation of Firefly, which is sad because this is one of the best adaptations I've seen when it comes to film. It's faithful to its material. The risks it takes make sense. Whatever feels a bit bigger is because, number one, it's a movie, and number two, the story justifies it. It's not like, oh, this came out of nowhere. Yes. The quality of writing is unchanged. The quality of characters are unchanged. There's so much about it that is preserved and continued. They're not just playing it safe and treading new ground. The story is exciting. It's innovative. It's heartbreaking at times but that's where i'll leave it and the worst thing about this is i want to recommend this to someone so bad many people but i won't and i can't because they have to watch firefly first yeah so just recommend firefly instead (laughs) and hopefully uh they won't be like me and be afraid to watch serenity okay well uh all that being said let's go ahead and dive into our casual correspondence James, I see you're back early from the mailbox, faster than I thought. Did you find anything? Well, I've been, first off, I've been working out, so um, my quads are real, real muscular, so I move a lot faster now than usual. Oh. So that's one thing I should probably, you should probably take note of. Uh, But additionally, there was nothing in our mailbox. No one seems to be talking back, uh, which is tragic. But honestly, Daniel, with how talkative both of us are, uh, we can keep each other company just fine, but we That's would, fine, yeah. we would love for you guys to contribute. And so we've, we've prepared a question for you graciously. Um, the question is, uh, what is the best adaptation to the big screen that you have seen? And that can relate to a TV series that can relate to a book series, a graphic novel series. Um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn that question to you first, Daniel, uh, since we can fill the space with a little discussion. Okay. I would have to say in terms of faithfulness and unity of the fan bases and lack of controversy, Lord of the Rings is my pick. I know that's such an easy answer and I feel ashamed, but I choose it because it's an obvious one. (laughs) You know, those books are thick, not just with information, but with lore and the movies respect it. And I think adequately make changes that make sense for the world of the film universe. So Lord of the Rings is my response. James, how about you? Um, I'm also going to take a big popular pick here uh, and say Avengers Endgame. Um, Mm. I think Avengers Endgame is the culmination of a lot of great adaptations. Uh, I didn't love all the Marvel movies, but there are a lot of good ones uh, that I did enjoy and I will remember for the rest of my life uh, and definitely impacted me as a storyteller. Um, I am not a huge dork in terms of the Marvel comics. I kind of wish I was as a little kid. Um, But now I feel like uh, the moment's kind of passed since I've seen all the movies. If anyone is kind of pounding their fist on the table at me saying that, please send me a message and tell me where to start because this, this graphic novel universe is something I'm interested in diving into. But anyway, it's complicated. It is. It's intricate. And there's lots of different alternate dimensions and things like that and and other storylines. But it's, it's fascinating. Uh, And so I think that this uh, Avengers Endgame is a great example of adaptation, even though I don't really know the material it's adapting from very well. 
But as a fan from the outside, I can say that I understood it perfectly well without even reading a single Marvel comic. So I think that's a merit. Yeah. You don't need to read comics to love the movies. And some people have read comics who also love the movies. It's perfectly balanced, as all things should be. I got a sour taste in my mouth. Let's go on to our spoiler review. Want to join the conversation? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Casually Critical Podcast to get the inside scoop on future episodes. Feel free to message us on either platform to join in the casual correspondence or provide feedback on the show. Now it's time to dive into our spoiler review. So James, we're here very early reviewing spoilers, but as you said, we're very talkative people and there's a lot I wanted to pick your brain regarding this movie. But I'll start you off by lobbing you a big one here. Instead of asking you what you thought about the ending right away or favorite scenes, I just want to ask, what makes, in your opinion, a successful adaptation? And perhaps, what about this is exemplified in Serenity or not exemplified? I think something that's very important in terms of adaptation is corresponding with and working with the original cast and crew. Mm. Our fans could learn a lot about that corresponding bit. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Rings a bell, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so I think the great thing about Serenity is that every single person involved in Serenity, at least the key players, were intimately involved in some ways with Firefly. The producers at Universal who decided to make this into a film uh, sat down and watched through Firefly and said, yeah, keep the the same crew, the same cast. Joss, you're still at the helm here. Uh, we don't want to we don't want to mess with this too much, but we might only be able to make you one movie. And I think that that was a really smart play. Uh, I think uh, working intimately with Joss and getting all of the same cast members together uh, really helped smooth the transition over. Um, and I think there's a lot to be learned there whenever it comes to adaptations. I think there are a lot of a lot of adaptations nowadays that don't do that. Um, is there anything else you want to add to that question? I feel like there's a lot to be said. One thing that I keep needing to remind myself is that this is such a risky movie. Hmm. Because I think even at this time, Firefly was already canceled after 14 episodes. The fan base, I'm not sure if it was as popular or as well known at the time. I'm sure to some degree it probably was. It actually was more but... popular because of the DVD sales. Oh, okay. So yeah, you have this fandom hype train of this obscure show that's only one season long. You want to continue that. Okay, great. You'll probably make some money. But number one, instead of renewing it, you're making a feature-length film, and those are inherently more expensive. You're throwing a lot more budget there, and you want to try and wrap up this monolithic world that was created. And Joss Whedon... I'm sure, had a daunting task. And you even touched on that with the kitchen sink and just saying, hey, let's whittle this down into <laughs> something we can use. And I love all the choices made with it. It works as a feature film and as a final episode to a series. There are things established in the beginning that are relevant to later in the movie. The fan service? There is fan service because... Obviously, you're bringing back a lot of things that are nostalgic, but there is zero fan pandering. Yeah. And I loved that. 
and this was something I looked for on my first viewing of this movie. I was looking for, they call it the flanderization effect, where you take a character that's somewhat okay and solid, and then you take one trait of theirs, and then eventually make that their only trait that they have, hyperbolizing it. Right. Gotcha. That's who pioneered this trait, flanderization. (laughs) And in ensemble films, that sometimes becomes very risky. Joss Whedon actually did this for the Avengers movies to some degree, kind of taking certain traits of the Avengers and heightening them to make them a bit more distinguishable. With Serenity, I was looking for that, and I didn't feel that any of that happened. Yeah. There wasn't, uh, oh my gosh, oh, they're way more annoying than they were last time, or oh, they're they're this or they're that. But to wrap it up, honestly, this is such a risky movie, and the fact that they did it, and they did it with such love and dedication regardless of how much money it would make really meant a lot to me. And I wasn't expecting that with this movie. And I ended up enjoying it probably just as much as I did the TV show for slightly different reasons. What you said about money is what, is what triggered this. Um, It didn't matter how much money it made. Just wanted it made so bad. He didn't care how much money came out of it. And I think his primary motivation being let's continue the story is what makes it so excellent because his motivation is already there. There's already so much more he wanted to say. So if you looked at a television series that was already very well completed and then you said, let's make a movie out of it, I think the creator, most creators would be hesitant to say that from a creative standpoint because they are out of material. Obviously, they have rich characters, a rich world if the television show is good, but they may not have a good plot line and a good leg to stand on, but if the money's there, they'll take it anyway. And that's what makes so many bad adaptations in my mind. That's very true. A lot of adaptations usually play it safe. James, let's dive into spoilers finally. Yeah. Because we've kind of been beating around that bush. Let's just dive in. Two deaths in this movie, one of Book and the other of your favorite character, Wash. There was actually a studio reason for this. Um, both of them couldn't actually commit to sequels. And so Joss Whedon searched for very believable and respectful ways to kill off their characters in this movie. But I wanted to know, how did you feel about their deaths? Do you feel they were necessary? And would you have changed it so that they didn't die? No, I would not. Um, I huh. really, honestly, Book is probably my second favorite character. Um, so it was really sad to see both of them taken away, but here's the thing. I love all the characters so much. Whenever these two characters were gone, I was just like, anything could happen. These are high stakes. Some of the last, uh, action sequences, I was like, this could be it for this character. This could be it for that character. There's nothing left to be done with these characters. They could just die. Oh, yeah. For a while, I was convinced that they would all be killed in a very tragic ending. And I was like, please don't. (laughs) I thought the Reavers were going to kill all of them. Yeah. And I was like, what a terrible way to go. And man, the fact that you were able, they were able to suspend that belief in you is like so important um, because I think there are so many movies where there's stakes like that, similar to that. But they aren't reinforced by character deaths that are so powerful and ones that are close to my heart. So it doesn't really feel scary to me. I don't know. Yeah. Like Spider-Man Homecoming. Peter Parker is like stuck under a fallen building and it's like, oh, no, is the building going to crush him? 
No, <laughs> he's going to be he's scheduled for. Let me pull out the Wikipedia page. He's scheduled for 14 more movies with Marvel. Uh, so this he's not going to die. I'm not worried. Therefore, I'm less engaged in the story. And it comes down to, are they saving Peter Parker, the character, or are they saving Peter Parker, the franchise? Yeah. You know, I think that's very important. Um, Joss Whedon was actually quoted as saying, not particularly about Firefly, but in general, his villains. He doesn't like writing villains that the only solution is through violence. He likes writing villains that elicit an emotion, that elicit a feeling. You can make a really terrifying villain that's not a physical threat. Captain America Civil War does an excellent job at this, I feel. Yeah. Where there's a villain behind the scenes, but he's not a physical threat at all. Any of the Avengers could easily take care of him, but it's what he does that's really villainous. And with this movie, even though the character does pose a physical threat, he also, there's, I got so many early vibes from him. Like, I was expecting him to just be a recasted version of early. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed when he wasn't. Really? He died. Well, yeah, Early's yeah. dead. Remember, really. he's just like he floating throwing... in space like, well, here yes. I am. <laughs> That's literally the last line from the whole show, I think. I want to touch on one thing, though. You said about the deaths that it really reinforced the stakes to you. And I'm really wondering, would this have paid off if this movie wasn't a movie, but a TV show episode in the final season? I don't think so. Why Why do you say that? Number one, the scale. At the very beginning, there's an epic scene, an epic prologue that's rivaled only, I feel, by the opening scene in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, when Gladriel talks to us about the forging of the rings. Yeah. And we see visuals. Because every time I've gone on Hulu to see Serenity... I always get freaking interrupted because it starts playing a random episode from Firefly. It's like 500 years ago, the earth was destroyed. So we had to terraform new planets. And I'm like, shut up. Like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> like we get it. But with this, the music and the universal logo fades and you go into earth and you see the terraforming process. You see all the ships fleeing earth. There's something impersonal about that, that you're watching. You're like, wow, something bigger is going on. One of my favorite action sequences has nothing to do with River, but it has everything to do with when the gang brings the horde of Reavers to the horde of Alliance oh, ships. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's epic. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really crucial. Based on what you know of Firefly, the show never got that big. Ever. Yeah. But I would argue there's two things that make this work because this is a rare moment where you blow the stakes and the scale out of the water. But here's the thing. They never lost track of what was important because what constitutes the majority of human faces you see during that sequence? The characters. We never see random people saying fire. We never see random people being killed. All we see are all these spaceships blowing up each other and fighting. And then we see firefly and we see the bad guy that's those are the only human faces we see throughout hmm. those are still our focus even though we're seeing the battle the only humans we see are the focuses that was really important to me yeah i think that makes it feel a lot more like a natural disaster than like each individual um alliance ship was an enemy um yeah and i really love that space battle too and i think it might be my favorite space battle ever i mean yeah i i'm sorry i don't like 
Space Battles and Star Wars as much as I like this one. Um, it's fine. I I don't either. <laughs> I value the characters in this one little ship in the middle of this giant space battle. And somehow that brings more out of me than the collision of a giant force of evil with a giant force of good duking it yeah. out in the middle of space. And here's the thing. When you just see the ships and you see the explosions and the violence, but the only human faces you recognize are those of the characters, it really kind of feels like there's two forces of nature going at each other. Yeah. And our heroes are caught in the thick of it, which symbolizes the entire show. Because the entire show is about this larger universe and these people caught up in it trying to survive. And one thing Firefly did well that I never mentioned in our episode that this show also does is when the writers take the definition of creativity and apply it to writing, they have minimal resources and the characters and they use the resources in such a way to bring out a great story. That's what I always loved about Firefly. They got into awful situations where you think, how the heck are they going to get out of this? And yet they do, not because someone flies in at the last moment and saves them or blows things up, but because of things that make sense. One of Captain Malcolm's most annoying and yet endearing things <laughs> is that he leaves people alive, unless they're really messed up people. And the fact that he chooses to do that has direct consequences on them surviving. Yeah. It comes back to bite them in the rear in the series, and it saves every last one of them at the end of Serenity, which I think is yeah. such a great resolution to that plot thread of like, oh, you spared the weird German guy that tortured you? Well, he's going to come back and get you. Sorry. Right. It's like, Malcolm, your code of morality is going to get you killed. <laughs> yeah, like for all we know, Early was paid by that same guy to, to go after Malcolm. I like what you said about all of these out, outside influences, things. These things are just happening in the greater universe, and our heroes are caught in the middle of it. They aren't necessarily mm. the chosen ones to deliver the universe from it, and they aren't necessarily the harbingers of doom, or they brought this chaos upon the world. Yeah, The world is so well-developed that you feel like all this stuff is already happening, and I think that's what's so good about the world-building is that you can see something... Um, in a shot and you will understand why it's there in the spaceship battle they don't get out clean like their ship gets heavily damaged oh, yeah. and i think it shows like there are consequences it's not just a fanboy like oh, look at all those ships what and the explosions spectacle. it's cool and for a moment they let us revel in their victory but then really quickly ships fly out of nowhere and they have to dodge them before being blown up themselves yeah. and they lose an engine and they're followed by one reaver craft and so much happens that they still suffer through it like there's still direct consequences for suddenly creating a front lines of this massive conflict they don't get out clean it's yeah. not like oh well that was easy it's like no we almost died as a result of our own thing and I think another thing that uh, really grounds me in that sequence uh, while we're still talking about it is that sometimes they chose not to use sound. Like at the very beginning, mm. whenever they decide to um, anger the Reavers um, and Mal is sitting at the top with the gun and he fires upon that Reaver ship, it's completely silent. All you can hear is the comms saying, all right, now, fire, now. And he's just like blasting this thing and there's not a single sound out there in space. And I think that really right. ties in with the overall feel 
that they were going for with the whole the whole series, the whole story. Also, the fact that you don't hear sound in space. Ex- no, exactly. The realism of it. This is not some grand fairy tale. This isn't an amazing, beautiful space opera where the heroes come out unscathed. James, off there, we had a really good conversation about what exactly is the heart of story. Because a common criticism that critics will make about movies or shows that are not as well done is that they lack heart. And from what I've heard from people far more experienced than I, the heart of a movie or your story, what it boils down to is a relationship. Firefly boils down to the relationship between Captain Malcolm and his crew. That's the heart of the story. If ever the story strays from that, you have a weaker story because that's not what the overall series is about. And this movie, the large reason why it works is because everything that's built is first put on a solid foundation. No matter how epic the sequences get, no matter how jacked up the stakes become, it's always about that. And it always revolves around that. The initial conflict, what's that about? It's about River and her brother deviating from the crew. They're going to leave the crew. Then things happen that cause them to stay on the crew. Um, Captain Malcolm is called out by Zoe in some really good dialogue where she says, why'd you let that random guy in the village go, but let them come on board our ship? How are you the author of your own morality in this? And how do you get to decide? That puts conflict on his relationship with the crew. Yeah. They never stray away from that. And that is the foundational aspect why it works so well. And that's why I get so disappointed whenever critics will say things like, these plot points and this world building has already been done before. These characters are so tropey. First of all, how dare you? Second of all, <laughs> um, second of all, that's not what the story hinges on at all. It hinges on Captain Reynolds and his character development throughout this movie. And not only his relationship with the crew, as you said, but also our relationship with Captain Reynolds and how he sees yeah. the crew as well. Um, because Captain Reynolds is a sympathetic character, we as an audience are transported to that world. Um, so that is also a relationship I would say is important and is at the, at the core of story. What did you think about the Reaver plot thread and the origin of the Reavers and the Pax chemical uh, or the Pax uh, whatever it is that is supposed to... that The thing that created the Reavers? Yeah. It's a bit jolting at first when you see the show and the Reavers are pretty much all hearsay. And the only Reaver villain you see is an almost Reaver, pretty much. Someone who's witnessed the Reavers and becomes a secondhand Reaver. Yeah. Honestly, it makes sense to me. Because the excuse of like, they looked into the blackness of space and felt despair. Um, it seems a bit much for me. Where it's like, uh, it does it does sound like a legend, which... Yeah, it feels very high fantasy. Right. It feels very much like they felt despair. And so they started raping everyone and skinning them and sometimes in different orders. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what sounds ish, plausible ish, but not believable. And then when you learn the alliances behind it, for me, it made perfect sense why they would be after River so aggressively and why they wouldn't want this news to leak out at all. Yeah. What, what do you have to say about that? No, I think I really appreciated it too. And it felt good to have one, one of the many questions answered. 
Uh, I really yeah. thought that was interesting. Um, the one error I would see with it, and it's not even error, but it's just um, something that someone could could find a foothold in in terms of criticism is all of the problems in Firefly and in Serenity are all connected to the Alliance. Uh, so initially yeah. in Firefly, it was sort of like there are a lot of different sources of bad in the world that That's are pressing true. down on the crew. Uh, and the Reavers is one faction, uh, and these mercenaries are another, and the Alliance is another one. But now it sort of all seems to be connected to the Alliance. Uh, and I don't yeah. think that that's necessarily a problem, but I could see how I could see how people mm. would think that that is sloppy or putting all your all your eggs in one yeah. basket in terms of world building. As a resolution, this works. This movie works. And I do love how there are so many open ends to where it doesn't kill off the franchise by resolving everything. We still don't know Book's backstory. We don't. And we don't know how Book left Serenity. We don't know how he kind of became the leader of this random group of people. They don't kill off that possibility by answering all those questions. They answer the bigger questions. And I think that's where this really shines. They know what to answer and what can be left unsaid. If you want to continue to support Firefly and Serenity and that franchise, there are also graphic novels um, called Firefly, oh. or no, I believe it's Serenity, Those Left Behind, and it's written by Joss Whedon uh, and illustrated by some very, very talented artists. Um, so if you want to see more of the world, and I'm sure none or maybe two of the questions that you have out of the thousands might be answered, um, Either way, it's more of the same characters. It's really well illustrated. Um, definitely check it out. You can find those um, anywhere good books are sold. All right. I'm Daniel, and this is James, and you've been listening to our podcast, Casually Critical. And that's all I got to say. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>